welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to episode 256 of the Extraordinary Moms podcast. You may hear some yelling in the background. It's summer. My kids are home. There's not a quiet place to be found in my house, and I'm just not going to go get in my car again in the 90-degree heat. I'm just not going to sweat it out for you. You're just going to have to deal with a little bit of background noise. Thank you for your patience. It's a mom podcast. It's real life over here, folks. Hey, I think so much for tuning in to the show today. I really, really appreciate it. I have a fabulous conversation to share with you today. My guest is Stephanie Reinold. Stephanie is going to share about her postpartum motherhood experience as she faced some mental health challenges. She's also struggled with disordered eating. And what makes her a really unique guest to speak on this is she's also a certified psychiatrist. She's a maternal mental health expert. She's anti-diet, she's a body image specialist, and it's just such a meaningful conversation because even as an expert herself, it didn't make her immune from these challenges, and I loved hearing more about that. Okay, so let's get to it with Stephanie Reinold. All right, I'm so excited to be chatting with Stephanie Reinold today. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. How are you? Good. Good. So you are in the San Antonio area, aren't you? Yes, I am. Um, I want to hear a funny story about San Antonio. <laughs> so my husband was in law school years ago, and he was applying at these different U.S. attorney's offices for internships over the summer. And he had applied in San Diego, where we're from, and that was our, like, number one hopeful, let's get a job there over the summer so we can go back home. But then he also applied in San Antonio because we love that area as well. And so he got a call from an unknown number and he picks it up and he said, oh, this is so-and-so from San and the U.S. Attorney's Office. And he was just so excited to be hearing from the U.S. Attorney's Office. He heard San something. He assumed it was San Diego. And so he's like, yep, I'll take it. That sounds great this summer. And then he calls me and I'm so pumped. We're going to San Diego. And they said, you know, we'd send you a follow-up email. And so a few hours later, he gets an email from the San Antonio office. And we're like, uh, was this the phone call? And sure enough, he had misheard that it was San Antonio who's me working at, not San Diego. <laughs> Oh no. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. But I, but ironically, San Diego also offered him something. And so we did the first half in San Diego and the second half in San Antonio and it worked out beautifully and he enjoyed both experiences. But yeah, you gotta, gotta listen all the way through with these names. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So funny. Well, I'm really excited to be chatting with you. We have a lot in common and I'm just excited to learn from your motherhood experience today. So we just give a little background on yourself and your family. Yeah, so I am a military wife myself, and a lot of people don't know that about me, actually, but Mm. mainly the hats that I wear are a plenty, but I am a board-certified psychiatrist by day, so I have a private practice here in San Antonio, and um, I also specialize in maternal mental health mainly, but also women of all ages, pretty much. I do a lot of work also with eating disorders, and I run the non- um, the online platform called Not the Typical Mom. So that is a lifestyle brand that helps women break free from society standards to reconnect with their real selves so they can kill it in life, love, and business. Because what I found from my own personal journey, so I'm a mother, my oldest is five, my youngest is two, and I really lost myself in motherhood. And I think it manifested in lots of different ways. And we can get into kind of my story. But part of my journey, after having my daughter, who's my five year old, I had postpartum depression. And I think a lot of my depression was truly just this feeling of a loss of identity. And people never tell you that when you birth a baby, you're also birthing a mother. And Mm. it was truly a identity crisis for me and like redefining who I was and redefining my life. And so that's a lot of what I do with my online platform because, you know, while I really stress the emotional mental health side of things, I also found that for 
a myriad of reasons, that kind of language tends to be really triggering for people. Mm. And so I was like, how can I distill the same thing on a, that I'm, you know, teaching my one-on-one patients and helping them with on a daily basis. And that's sort of what it came out. So I've written a book. My book is called Let Your Heart Out, How to Escape Your Thoughts and Reconnect with the Most Important Part of Yourself. And so that's really a lot of the work that I do is I help women just kind of get rid of the details in their life Mm. and like reconnect with like what is actually driving you because And I struggled with this myself. Like we moms were just so, so good at living in our thoughts, living in our to-do list, you know, getting things done and just like going through the monotony of motherhood. And then you wake up and you've drifted so far from what actually makes you happy, what actually brings you joy. And you wonder why you're an angry wife and you wonder why you're, you know, spouting off at your kids or why you're unhappy in your career. And it's, I think because of this, because no one tells us when we become a mom, we have to kind of fundamentally change how we look at the world in so many ways. And I think it's a really easy thing for us to sacrifice ourselves. Like, and that came easy for me too. It's like to, you know, just put everything on the back burner. And the biggest nugget that I have learned through this whole process is that actually when I put myself first in my life, when I actually prioritize my own joy, my own happiness, then I am happier, healthier all around for everybody in my life, including including my children. Hey everyone, I wanted to thank one of our show sponsors and that is Songfinch. Songfinch is a personalized gifting company that allows you to bring stories, feelings, and memories to life through one-of-a-kind songs. I'm always looking for unique gifts for people that have all the things, but they want something sentimental. Songfinch is the perfect gift for that. Personalized songs start at just $99, are delivered within seven days, and it's all based upon your choice of style of song, what type of voice do you want singing it, and you fill out a questionnaire with specific memories or stories or attributes you want included in the song. It is so special within seven days, you have that song to gift to somebody. They wrote a song for my three boys, which has become their anthem. They love how personalized it is, it's catchy, it's professional, I could not recommend it anymore. So if you want a gift that keeps on giving, whether it's for a birthday, anniversary, Mother's Day, Father's Day, you can use the promo code EXTRAORDINARY for $20 off of a personalized song from scratch. So go to songfinch.com and use promo code EXTRAORDINARY for $20 off your personalized song from scratch, and you'll be truly giving the gift that keeps on giving. Thank you so much, Songfinch, for supporting the show. Now let's get back to my conversation with Stephanie. Yeah. Oh, I could not agree more. I had another mom tell me, you know, so many times we're not thinking that we are new at this. Like we think we're 34 years old. We should, we should know everything. We should have it all figured out. But how long have you actually been a mom? You know? So when your child is six months old, you expect certain things from a six month old, but we don't expect the same level of grace for ourselves as a six month old parent. Right? Like we've only done this for six months. How are we supposed to know it all and do it all perfectly or at least to these high expectations we set for ourselves when we really just haven't had the experience for very long. It takes a long time to figure things out. And a lot of times you do it the hard way. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and most of us, if you're anything like me, you're a little stubborn to ask for advice. Sure. So we have some amazing moms and you know other friends. It's like, I think there's a little too much advice giving and not enough just encouragement out there, but that's a whole other tangent. <laughs> but I just find, I mean, cause I know when I first became a mom, I had people giving me advice and probably mm. too much advice. And then you start to judge yourself based on other people's advice and other people's opinions when truly, I mean, it really takes reconnecting with you and no mom is going to be like you. No baby is going to be like your baby. And so that's the biggest problem I see in this whole concept of like, you know, we're a new mom because then what, what type a really perfectionist do people like me try to do (laughs) is we try to go find the experts and then do everything they're doing so that Mm. we can be excellent, perfect moms. Right. Cause we see these other people and they, you know, quote unquote, have it all together. When honestly, the the journey, the training, the education, if you will, in motherhood comes from literally your own life experience. It does not come from, you can't speed up the process is what I'm saying. You Mm -hmm. know, like it's not like, um, you know, you have a three-month-old and there's like the really excellent, you know, 
three month, you know, moms of three month olds that are getting an A in motherhood. And then there's like really <laughs> awful, like horrible moms who are failing it. You know, like it doesn't work that way. There's no. your grades in motherhood. Like there's, it's, it just, it is what it is. And that's what's so hard for us to kind of fundamentally take a step back from because our world is so linear minded. It's so one track focus. And, you know, hello, like you're talking to a doctor here. Like I get it. Like the mm-hmm. delayed ratification, the goal setting, the, that is, that was so much a part of my life before having kids that it was so difficult for me to wrap my mind around the fact that I don't have to be goal setting in motherhood. Like I don't, you know, like I don't have to be okay. When my daughter is five months old, then we will do this or when, you know, and it's so subtle and yet we're all guilty of it. Right. Cause gosh, just recently I had a conversation with my husband cause we've been talking about Disney world and when we're going to plan the trip. Cause my kids have kind of been a little too young for that, but now we're kind of of age. And so now we're kind of planning the trip. Um, and, and I was like, well, maybe when Riker, Riker's my two-year-old, my baby, I'm like, maybe when Riker's like three and then Kate's like this. And then we've also had the conversation, like when we're adding potentially a third child to the family and it's like, but then we'd have the, and then you get into this like planner mindset of like, when my family is perfect, then I can do all the fun things in my life. And you have to check yourself and be like, all right, babe, I'm just talking to my husband. I'm like, all right, babe, we just probably need to just plan it. Like there's never going to be a great time to go. There's not going to be this like perfect window of opportunity for all the fun things that you want to do in your life. Like you just got to do it. Yes. No, I could not agree more. And you think, okay, I'll wait till they're a little bit older. But then when they're a little bit older, they're busier and they have friends Mm -hmm. and they don't want to leave their friends. And then they have attitudes about not wanting to hang out with you because you're not cool anymore. And (laughs) you know, it's like it was easier when they were strapped in a car seat and on a road trip than and had no choice than when they, you know, were tuning you out and didn't want to be there. So (laughs) totally gosh, as challenging as the first six months of life are, I actually think that was probably the maybe easiest chapter. No, you look back and you're like, yeah, that was, that was a nice time. Exactly. When all they're doing is eating, sleeping, and pooping, and smiling every once in a while. Right. That was good. That was a good time. That was a good time. That was a good time. And I think that's something to be said, too, for there's just different personalities that are better suited for different age kids. And so you may really find your stride in the elementary age, or you may really find your stride not until the teenage years. doesn't mean you can't do a good job beforehand. You can't learn to love that too. But I've heard from lots of moms that say, gosh, I love my teenagers. This is the season where I'm really feel better and I'm excelling and everything. And I think it's different for everybody. So just providing that room for just because you don't, you know, absolutely love the newborn phase, it doesn't mean you're not a great mom or you're not going to be able to show up for your kids in an extraordinary way. Just give yourself a little time. I'm really glad you brought that up. It's so funny. And that was a big part of my journey too, because so, um, growing up, I actually always thought I'd be a pediatrician Mm. and for probably a lot of reasons, some very superficial, like I'm kind of short and petite and I guess I always enjoyed kids and I have a younger brother who's much younger than me and I was sort of a mother figure to him. And so I always liked kids. And so I assumed like I would love pediatrics and I hated it, Jessica. It was Mm. awful. It was not my cup of tea. And let me just say like sick kids, like being a doctor to kids is really different than being a mom, but it did sort of open this weird, like I started judging myself. Like, why don't I like this? Cause everyone sort of had told me like, I see you as a pediatrician you'll be a great pediatrician. And you know, even like supervisors and people had told me that. And I just didn't, I just did not like it. So I knew pretty early in my training, I didn't want to treat kids. So then when I became a mother myself, it was also this weird, I just assumed I'd always be really good at it. You know, I just thought it'd come naturally to me and I would just bond and lots of it, lots of it did. Like, I don't want to, you know, again, it's never black and white. It's never extreme. Like I love my children, but I, I don't think my favorite part, I actually truly really liked the newborn phase. Like I really actually liked the zero to six months. Like I thought they were really easy. They were super cute. Like my, my kids slept fairly well. Like it wasn't a really chaotic time in my life. Um, you know, I think my postpartum depression after my daughter was born really had very little to do actually with the, her as a baby, like, you know, Mm. and the role of mother, I think it was actually a lot other issues. Um, and I don't mind sharing more if you want to know more about that, but right now my daughter's five, I am really loving this. Mm. Like you can have a good conversation with her and she's still like, she still loves you. Like she hasn't gotten to like the preteen attitude. I mean, she has an attitude sometimes, but that's mm-hmm. a whole other issue, <laughs> but I really love it. Whereas like my, my little boy, 
I'm really struggling. I really struggle with the toddler years because I don't like, you can't communicate with them very well. They can't communicate with you very well. They're like acting out. It's just, oh, it's, it's really, really hard for me. And he's a pretty good, mellow, chill kid. So it makes it better. But I remember the toddler years for my daughter were the worst. I mean, she mm-hmm. was, oh goodness, it was rough. So yeah, I really like that because it can be, it doesn't make you a bad person or a bad mom if, you know, certain phases of motherhood you don't even really enjoy, you know? Right. Right. And I think during those phases, the key to that, and you can speak to this more professionally, but is finding things you do enjoy and filling your tank and filling your life up with things in addition to the things that maybe don't you know, fill you up as much, what things do fill you up and making sure those are priorities so that you still show up as a happy person and as a happy mom. Cause you don't want your kids looking back on a certain season just cause it wasn't your favorite to be like, Oh, mom was a super grump that whole time. You don't want that either. So what can you do to compensate? Have you seen that? Oh, for sure. For sure. And it it seems to be a really big revelation for both my patients and myself to just know that motherhood doesn't have to be your primary purpose in life, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's part of our upbringing. You know, I was raised like, um, in a Christian home. And so I think it's probably partially from my faith and the culture of my faith that it's sort of like motherhood is like the end all be all. And Mm -hmm. so then when motherhood isn't really your end all be all, like when it's not actually filling your cup all the way, you start to feel like a bad person. Like you start to judge yourself. Like, why, you know, children are a gift from God. Why am I not really enjoying this? And it starts to kind of get intertwined with how we were raised. And, you know, I was raised by a working mother, but my mom always wished she was a stay-at-home mom. So it was an interesting dynamic because she resented the fact that she had to work. Mm. Whereas I, it's taken me now, I mean, my daughter's five. It has taken me five years to now fully admit and own the fact that I truly am my best self when I am a working mom, like for me, I've tried the full-time work at home thing. I've tried staying at home for that only lasted a few months. Um, Mm -hmm. it's just, I am, and I, there's, there should be no guilt and shame, like whatever decision you make. Cause I see it on the flip side too. I see, um, you know, I, I lived in DC before we moved back to San Antonio and DC in particular is a very high concentration of, um, professional working women and most women that have master's degrees, doctorate degrees, you know, very, um, accomplished women. And it's very common to see these women, you know, they're like a partner in their law firm or they're working on Capitol Hill or they're doing amazing, incredible things. And then they have a baby and some of them love to go back to work. And they kind of shared my sentiments, like, you know, this actually isn't everything I wanted. I want to go back to work. I enjoy my job and my career Mm -hmm. or they're the flip side. And they actually have this guilt that they really like staying at home because they were raised in a culture that really valued career and valued, um, you know, the, the finances and the blessings that can come from having a dual income home. So then to make the choice to stay at home was really hard for them. So whatever that choice is for you to be really confident and just own that because it doesn't, if, especially if you change in what your own mother did, cause that's usually where I see it. When we make a different path choice than what our own mothers did for us, because all we really know is kind of our own lived experience, right? So mm-hmm. we naturally unconsciously or consciously just compare ourselves to our own mothers, whether good or bad. And so sometimes, you know, if we think we had bad childhood, we want to do the complete opposite of what our mothers did. So then anytime we're doing something similar, we're like, uh, why am I doing that? I don't want to be like my mom. Or you see the flip side, you had an awesome mom, an awesome childhood, and you, if you're making different decisions, it brings up a lot of anxiety for people. And this is all this stuff that like, we just don't talk about, you know, because people just don't get it. And then they don't understand why their own relationship with their mom is strained at the time when they become a mother. And there's just so many dynamics at play. Absolutely. And sometimes we feel, you know, judged by others, especially family members who may you know, put in their two cents about how they think we're raising our kids or, you know, choosing to structure our family or whatnot. But really, like, we all have our own judgments about ourselves and about others, whether we speak them aloud or not. But it is all just, we have an inner narrative that runs so deep. We need to be able to hear it, like, okay, good for you, not for me. Or, oh, I'll consider that. That's an interesting thought. And then let it move forward from there instead of letting it have so much power and grip over you to like ruin your day or (laughs) ruin your life. Um, 
and you know choose to hear what other people's input are or not but but then be able to move on and like you said just be confident in whatever decision you make because motherhood is definitely not one size fits all that we know (laughs) that we know for sure hey everyone i wanted to thank one more show sponsor and that is revolution math When it comes to math, the key to success is making it enjoyable, establishing a foundation from which your child can grow. I used to be an elementary school teacher myself, so I know firsthand that old boring worksheets don't work. That is why I love Revolution Math. Revolution Math offers online classes with math games designed to heighten their skills just in time for the school year. And it's not just about doing the math. It's about loving it and understanding it. Revolution Math Classes meet online in face-to-face interactive classrooms, kind of like Skype or FaceTime. They can get in a group with their friends if they want, with a teacher that helps lead them through these activities. For kids like mine who really love video games, this is a way that I'm able to allow them to be on the screen time, but I know that they're getting something really beneficial out of it. It is so, so cool, and they make it so fun at Revolution Math. So enroll your student today, give it a try, and you can get your first month of classes for only $19 at revolutionmath.com slash EMP. That's revolutionmath.com slash EMP to get your first month of classes for just $19 at revolutionmath.com slash EMP. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Now let's get back to it. Well, I'm very curious, because of your background and your education, you went on to have postpartum depression. I'm wondering if when you started experiencing those types of symptoms postpartum, was that very easy for you to recognize in yourself? What was your experience with that and how did you kind of treat yourself or how how did you get help for that? So I will say my experience was somewhat atypical. So my postpartum depression didn't fully onset until I weaned from breastfeeding, which is actually a pretty big risk factor that people don't talk about enough. So um, the the classic textbook kind of postpartum depression, just so a, a little bit of education, typically will onset within usually the first three months. And usually what you see is there's just kind of subtle or very mild symptoms, kind of like the baby blues. like. And so we tend to just kind of brush it over until it then you usually gets worse um, in subsequent months. For me, the first few months were actually really great. My daughter was a pretty good sleeper. Breastfeeding initially really worked out for us. And there were a lot of other issues in my life at the time. And so it was just a really difficult, rough transition, but truly the clinical depression piece of it. Um, So I went back to work pretty suddenly. So I actually began my residency in psychiatry eight week, 10 weeks after my daughter was born. Wow. So I went back to work like nine weeks when she was nine weeks. So it was really rough. Um, I had no family, no friends, not a lot of supports. I was working like 80 hour work weeks. My husband was working a lot of hours. It was totally pure survival mode. Honestly, it was awful. And my job was probably the biggest stressor because I had zero control. I mean, I was a resident, like I couldn't just tell them, you know, I need to reduce my hours. Like that just doesn't work. I mean, I would have given up my entire career, which was really important to me. And for very practical reasons, I had a lot of student loan debt. So it was kind of like, I, I just had to finish my training. It was just a survival mode, but then about, so I think for a myriad of reasons and some lactation consultant can probably chime in, but my daughter started refusing the breast when she was about four months old. And so, um, I was still pumping and I wanted to like make it like a full six months. And, um, gosh, it's so funny now hearing people that like breastfeed for so much longer. I personally thought six months was a really huge commitment for a working mom and especially the number of hours I was working. So I just couldn't keep it up anymore. Cause once she started refusing, it was just at that point, it was ruining my quality of life. So that said, I stopped breastfeeding somewhat dramatically. I mean, it was only over the course of a couple of weeks, which now looking back was probably just a huge shift of hormones. And, um, I, there was like, I had had another hormonal treatment just for birth control and I'd gone off that. So there was a lot of biological factors that I think were affecting me at that time. And it was also a period of time when my daughter's sleep was regressing. So I was not getting a lot of sleep. So pretty much within a period of about three months. So by the time my daughter was 
um, about eight months, I was, I was truly like in a full blown depressive episode and it was so difficult for me to see myself. And so, yes, like I work in this field, this is who I treat. Like even in my training, I was in a women's mental health track. So most of the patients I was seeing were people like me. And so it was, it, it was just so fascinating because I can vividly remember patients that I was treating that were going through the exact same thing I was at the exact same time. Mm. And I was somehow able to put a professional hat on, like do what was right for them. Them. And I, I'm sure maybe at like some unconscious level, it started to sort of affect me a little bit. Like maybe, maybe this is something I'm struggling with. And so I actually like, gosh, the doctor, the doctor started Googling things. Like I started Googling, <laughs> like, what is this? Like, is this because I, and I really did pinpoint like something happened when I weaned from breastfeeding. And so I, hmm. but no one talks about that actually, sure. which is an incredibly huge risk factor. Um, they haven't done a whole lot of studies about it. So a lot of stuff isn't documented, but I know now anecdotally and from my own patients that I've treated that it, it does tend to be a very big risk factor for some women for whatever reason, I think the hormonal shift can kind of trigger it. So obviously the hormonal shift right after having a baby is the worst time. And that's why something usually onsets around then. But for me, it came much later. So then I was so confused with my symptoms. And of course there was so much shame, um, you know, to the point, like I was just so afraid to tell like my own program, like my program director where I was training, like so much, you know, my boss, what I was going through and, you know, I didn't know how to tell my family. And as I already mentioned in this interview, you know, I grew up in a family that was not exactly keen on mental health care. I think they're just a little ignorant, like a lot of conservative Christian homes. Like I think mm -hmm. there's the notion that it's, you know, it's sinful or, you know, it's self-pity or, or whatever. There's just this notion that you have more control over it than probably you really do. So I didn't give myself really permission to, to have a disease. You know, I didn't give myself wow. cause I was like, no, I'm not weak. I'm strong. I, you know, I trust in God. Like I, I had so many other coping mechanisms in place. You know, I was a really mature person and, and yet I was really suffering. Um, and wow. so to the point, you know, I, I, I thought of death. Like, I mean, I thought of ending my life and that I think is when it probably reached the point, like I really need help. Like this is no longer like, I don't, to the point, like, I don't care what people think about me anymore. Like I need to just get help for myself because this is like literally a matter of life and death. And that scared me enough. And so I did, I saw my own psychiatrist part of my journey initially, I think because I had let it go so long, I was really pretty severe at that point. Um, you know, I was never hospitalized to that point, but you know, for me, medication was a part of my healing. So I did take antidepressants for some time. Um, I, and also just my lifestyle at the time, like I didn't have time to go to therapy really like, and therapy definitely works, but it does take longer to work and you mm -hmm. really have to be very consistent with it. Um, it wasn't until a couple of years later, I actually went to my own therapy, which is also a part of my healing journey. So I would say once I got on medication, it was pretty instant. I mean, within the first month, I felt like myself again. And I would say by the time my daughter was a year old, so this was like, I'd been on medication for three months at that time. I, I felt like I was seeing the light again. Like I felt like myself again. And I think because of my own lived experience, I, I now just have so much empathy for both the people that I treat as well as, as well as myself, you know, like that, why did I like, why did I even let it get to this point? Like there is treatment, like there's treatment that works and it doesn't have to be medication, but it absolutely could be a part of your treatment mm -hmm. and there should be no shame. Like there, I mean, it's just so sad to me that, that I personally let myself suffer as long as I did. And that women are always just like letting themselves suffer as if it's normal. And it's just not. And you here, you are working with patients paralleling your own life and I'm sure and you can speak to this you are giving them permission to to be medicated to seek help to give themselves a break to realize this is a true disease and it's not just something that you can pray away or will away or you know be better at to overcome it and yet at the same time you are not able to give yourself that same permission to not feel the shame so my question is for people that either are experiencing something similar or they're going through something else where if somebody were a friend were to tell about their life and their situation right now and they were to give advice to a friend in a loving, empathetic way 
And yet, if the role was reversed and it was their experience and they were trying to coach themselves and think through it more as an observer of their own life, how do you do that more effectively? Does that question even make sense? Okay, so the first thing is, so you're kind of asking, like, how can we give our own selves grace? And I will say this much um, because I think this is really important to note. When you are at a place like I was, like if you happen to be in it, you know, when I say in it, like in a place where day after day, like this is not just a bad moment in time or this is not just a depressed day. This is this has been going on for about a week, probably at least a week where almost every day for a week you've really been having dark thoughts, you've been having obsessive or ruminating thoughts, or you're not sleeping well, or it's affecting your ability to function, or it's affecting your relationships. I would say the first step out is to tell somebody because sometimes in that, in that state, like when you are in it, like when you are literally going through like the worst part of a divorce, when you are going through a breakup, when you're going through a loss, when you're going through, um, a depression, when you're going through like a hard time, Mm -hmm. I, it's my personal belief, um, with my professional cap on, but it's sort of my individual approach that I actually do not think that we can, give ourselves that capacity to give ourselves grace in those moments. I think our brain is under so much stress that we truly do need it mirrored back to us from someone else. So in those moments, I say, who is the one person, the first person that comes to your mind that you know is going to give you compassion? For me, it was my husband. He is my best friend. He is my world. And I I was so, I was so scared. I was so scared to tell him because he ra- he was raised the same way I was, you know, he, like we were both kind of raised with this stigma toward mental health services. And I, I assure you that like the second I told him, I cannot even explain it without like, it was like a spiritual weight. It was like mm. this huge weight was lifted from me because, oh my gosh, it gives me like goosebumps. Like, because I remember this vivid day, and this is in my book, if you've read my book, um, it's the very last chapter of my book, so spoiler alert, but <laughs> uh, I mean, this, this, it was like the worst of it. It was, um, my husband's in the army, and so he was going off on a training assignment soon after this, and I just, I remember that day just kind of like realizing the weight, like I was going to be alone with my baby taking care of her, and I was like, like literally how am I going to survive? I mean, like literally not just like a exaggeration. Like I did not know how I was going to make it through. And again, this is coming from like someone who I put my faith in God. Like I put my faith outside of myself and I still just like could not get myself out of it, you know? And I, I just remember like, um, I came out and I just, I just told my husband, like, all I said was, I don't, I don't think I'm okay. Like, I think, I think I need some help. And it was kind of the only words that I could say. And I'll just, I'll just never forget. I mean, he just looked at me. He's like, I agree. I agree. We'll, we'll get you help. Mm. And it was just so, um, it just makes me really emotional talking about it. Cause it is such a beautiful thing when someone else can, can give you that validation because I just personally don't think when you're in it, it is even really possible for someone to get themselves out of it. Mm. Um, you know, if it's like a bad day or just like, you know, like you're just suffering with like life in general and you're just being really hard on yourselves, you know, those are women that I have a lot more, you know, I can work more one-on-one with like better tools, like to imagine how someone would give themselves grace in that moment. So like now, for instance, so I've been through that awful experience and I had, I had multiple. And after my husband, it was my mom, you know, I told my mom and she equally was like, I I agree. Like you are not yourself. Like we need something more than, you know, like you need to get yourself out of basically like, you know, we'll do anything to help you out. And, um, my mom came out to help me that time when my husband was away because she she heard it in my voice, even over the phone, that like things were not good. Um, I told a colleague, I ended up telling my employer because I had to change my schedule around a little bit to accommodate some better work hours for me. So the more people I told and the more people validated, it was just so healing. And it was probably a couple years after that that I actually came out publicly. That's when I first, mm-hmm. I wrote my very first guest blog post, like sharing about my personal postpartum depression experience. This was, um, I guess almost about like 18 months ago now. Um, 
almost two years ago, actually. It's about two years ago. Yeah. Hmm. So when my daughter was about two is when I fully, so I had been recovered and like I was in therapy, I was doing really good. So if you're ever going to speak out about stuff, like also make sure like you're fully healed because it can be triggering even just bringing that up again. So that's sort of an aside, but the more people I told and the more, you know, now I'm very open and public about it because it doesn't really trigger me anymore. Like that was a part of my journey and I'm so thankful that I went through it because I now have the platform that I do, but it was, it was horrible experience. Mm. And, but all that to say like now, so if I have a bad experience now, or if I have like a couple, um, like depressed days here and there, I can do a practice in my head. Like, what would my husband tell me? What would like, cause sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to, for you yourself to give yourself that grace. But if you have a lived experience, like a memory of a moment in time, when someone validated you, when someone mirrored your experience back to you. And when I say that, it means like, literally you could look like they were your mirror to you. Like they could validate the pain and suffering that you were sharing with them. That is an incredibly healing experience, but sometimes we need the memory to, to base that off of if any of this is making sense with people. So it's easier to do that once you're in a, a better, more mature kind of healing place. I mean, if you're truly like in the thick of like a mental illness or really big adjustment or transition in your life, I it's just my personal philosophy. I think it's incredibly hard, if not impossible for us to do it ourselves. I think Mm -hmm. we, we need that, that mirroring back from someone else. Yeah. I think that is such a great point because I think we also feel guilty if we're not able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps in the thick of it. Like I should be able to rise above it. So then there's a whole nother layer of expectation, even beyond just the symptoms you're originally feeling. And I feel like when I've gone through really hard times, if I try and just pull myself up and be like, okay, I got this, I'm moving on, but really I haven't dealt with what needs to be dealt with, I'm just piling positive type masks on top of those negative emotions that I'm not willing to process or work through and then move out of my life, but that doesn't mean they go away. I'm just kind of burying it. And those things will come up later. So I think it's way healthier, like you said, to kind of do the work, sit with it, and not expect for you to have any type of clarity of thought or ability to will yourself out of it and beyond it. But instead kind of, yeah, lean on those people that you can trust, that love you, that have hope for you, believe in their words um, until that can become your narrative, but work on rewriting that. But realize it's going to take time. I think that is really really important. Yeah, it absolutely takes time. And I don't want to undermine that either. I mean, like I said, I, I suffered for probably three or four months before I told anybody anything. And then it was, I mean, it was a positive experience for me. I know some people don't have that experience. It breaks my heart. And so I, I mean, I don't want to scare you away, but I mean, sometimes people aren't validated the first person they tell, but I just encourage you like, tell someone else, you know, tell more people, find even a community online that gets you Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, people like this podcast or like just hearing other people's stories, even if they're a stranger to you can still be very healing and therapeutic to you too. Yes. Hearing from people just a season beyond where you are right now, who have gotten closer to the light than maybe you're feeling right this second just hang on because there's so much hope. Just hang on. And especially in the thick of it, I mean, when you get to the point of suicidal thoughts and I have lost friends to postpartum depression and it is, it's, it's awful. It's awful. And you're like, how did it, what, what else could I have done? How else? And there's, and there's nothing anybody else can truly do except just show up, love them, support them. But it's not your responsibility either, but just encourage them to get help. Yeah. 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 Oh, gosh. I love so much that this life experience has helped you to become more empathetic and have a deeper perspective and understanding of the women that you help to treat now. I used to be a teacher, and it's the same thing. Before I had kids, you know, assigning homework, assigning book reports and projects where I knew the parents were probably going to be very responsible for their work and things like that. I think of it so differently now if I were to be back in the classroom, the types of things I would assign or the way I would talk to parents about their children's behavior and their part in it and things. I had no frame of reference. How do you speak Mm. to your clients differently today 
based on your own life experience? How has this shaped you? And then how has it really impacted your motherhood and the way you view your role as a mom? Well, I think it's funny when you bring up, um, we can be so nice and compassionate to other people, but then we don't give ourselves that same sort of compassion. I actually find I had a a slightly different experience. Mm. I do not think I was a very empathetic person. Um, I think I was just as critical on other people as I was to myself. So I think I had a very, I treated everyone kind of the same, you know, so I treated myself really critically, but I also treated other people with sort of an air of judgment and I was very critical. You know, I think to the outside world, I mean, I don't think I let on I was really judgmental, but inside, I know for a fact, the same stigma, the same judgment, the same limitations that I had in getting help, I carried that into my professional world. I had to, you know, like we aren't really good at compartmentalizing big Mm -hmm. things like that. So although I was a psychiatrist, I think I sort of judged even my profession, which is really weird, but you know, it's not that uncommon either. I talked to a lot of therapists that sort of have felt the same way and we've had to work through because I think our society at large is just so stigmatizing toward mental health and mental illness. And we all grew up in the same culture, you know, we all grew up here. And it's, so it is really difficult to fight that a little bit. And so I think now I am much better at just giving my patients space to be exactly where they are. Before I was of the let's set goals, let's get you better by this date. You know, like even if I wasn't saying those words, that was in my mind mm. what I wanted. Like I wanted I wanted the first medication to work. I wanted them to get better like that. I wanted, you know, like I just, I, I was like the goal setter. I was like goal setting for mental illness. And you just, everyone has their own journey. Sometimes it is the first medication that works for my patients. You know, I am a psychiatrist, so I prescribe medications sometimes. Um, I also do therapy with my patients. And it's even that, I mean, sometimes it's the very first therapist you go to and you hit it off and it's an amazing healing experience. Sometimes it's like the fourth or fifth therapist you go to. Sometimes it's the 10th person you tell your story to. Sometimes it's the very first person, you know, just like everyone's birth experience is different. Everyone's motherhood experience is different. Everyone's experience through emotional health and wellness is going to be different too. And so I'm now so much better able to give my patients and friends, you know, just friends Mm -hmm. in my life, like that space, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm a lot better able to be like patient with my husband. You know, it's in, even in our marriage, you know, times before I'd want to like correct everything, you know, like we would have a fight. I'd want it all to be better, like immediately, (laughs) you know, like anything happened wrong, you know, with my kids, like they would have a temper tantrum. I'd want them to be better, like immediately, you know, I'm just so much more patient with the process, like the process of life. Cause everything is a process, you know, sometimes my daughter's temper tantrums are going to last a long time because she just needs to get it out there. You Mm -hmm. know, sometimes we can talk through it and it's going to be different. You know, sometimes my husband and I, we go to sleep angry, like, you know, cause in that moment, I know nothing I say is going to change the situation and that's okay. Mm. Cause sometimes you need to just hold the space for whatever emotions are coming up in your life period. And so, and one-on-one, I mean, sometimes my patients are really sad. They just like, don't even want to talk about stuff. Other times they're just flooding me with all of their emotions, all of their thoughts, like, and I'm just so much more adaptable to whatever experience comes up in that moment. Hmm. I love that. And I'm sure that that will definitely pay off with your kids versus, you know, putting certain timelines and expectations on them just because it's what you think they're capable of or that you would desire of them. Giving them the space to be who they are, to express themselves as they just naturally kind of do. Sure, we're trying to help them and mold them and and teach them, you know, practical life skills and coping mechanisms and better ways to do things. But then there's also an element of just being like, they need to learn too. They did not come pre-programmed to to behave and know all of our expectations, but it's our job to teach them and give them space to learn and to make mistakes and try again because we want that same opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, especially if you have more than one kid. I mean, my son is entirely different from my daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, talk about like 
gosh, when I had my daughter, I was like, she's got to be this milestone and this milestone. I mean, like first kid problems, right? Like you got like the gunner parents who are yeah. all about like, you know, she's got to walk before she's one. She's got to talk before she's two. And like everything's got to be like on timeline. And my husband is, or uh, my son is just totally different. I mean, my husband and I are totally different too, but that was <laughs> funny. Yeah. My son, he, like he is not as expressive. Like he's not as um, articulate, like words wise, like vocabulary. He doesn't speak as much as my daughter did at his age. So that was sort of an adjustment. Like, is there something wrong with him? You know, and you're like, your brain can go there. Like I'm a mom too, you know, like, yes, I'm a doctor. I get it like from an intellectual level, but I'm also a mom. Like, so I struggle with that same kind of wanting my kid to be the quote unquote perfect kid who like does everything quote unquote perfectly. And, um, but yeah, it's just not like that in motherhood. You know, like I am just so much better able to be like, Hey, you know what, whatever my kid decides to do, even that it's kind of like you know, getting our kids in all these activities and, you know, our kids are going to be like the next Olympic athlete and the next like accomplished, um, musician and all this stuff. And it's just kind of like, you know what, whatever, like I could care less about that stuff now. And that I'm so glad I actually learned that while they're still young, because hmm. I'm probably gonna have to remind myself of this in 10 years. But, um, I, I just, I really don't like their health and their safety and their sanity is the most important thing to me. Yeah. Oh, I think that is so great. And yeah, and even if your kids aren't young, it's still not too late to learn those things and to just give them the space to just be who they are and they will do great things, but it might, might not just be the exact vision you had thought, right? Yeah. Love it. I just love your mission of really helping other women to own their life story, to feel confident in who they are. You help um, women with eating disorders. You've had your own experience with that as well. And we haven't even touched that, but Talk to the woman today that is feeling less than confident. Maybe it's less than confident in their motherhood. Maybe they're struggling with depression. Maybe they have an eating disorder. Maybe they're trying to control their kids and tiger mom them into proving that they're a great mom. Speak to that mom that's struggling. I just want you to know, first of all, we all feel like we're not good enough. We grew up in this culture that's, you know, the capitalistic world that preys on our scarcity mindset that praise on this belief that we have to feel like we're not good enough so that we can buy something that makes us feel good enough. And it's not a character flaw. It's not a moral failure on your part that you have felt this way because we all feel this way. But I guarantee you, whatever it is you are struggling with right now, whether it's, you know, you want your kid to be a better sleeper to you wish you were 20 pounds lighter to you wish your husband did more chores around the house, like whatever that is, those are all the details those are like the iceberg that we see above the water. What I work with people is like, what is actually underneath it? Like, what are you actually wanting? Like, are you actually wanting to be 20 pounds lighter? Or is it that you just want to be validated by your husband? Is it actually like your, you know, your kid like sleeping through the night? Or do you just want to prove to yourself that you are good enough about something? And if you had a child that slept better, you would feel good enough. Hmm. Or like, you know, like all of these things come down to something much deeper you know, and that's like the heart of the issue. Like the heart of the issue is not at whatever you think it is. It is something much deeper than that. And to just give yourself some grace that like, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your body. It's nothing to do with your kid, your marriage. Like those are all the details. Like what is tr- Like what is the calling on your heart? And that's mm-hmm. a really, it's a hard thing. You got to have to sit with it, but sometimes just separating yourself from you know, knowing that it's not about that stuff. It's not because nothing, no details of life, no changing of your body, no changing of the details of your marriage, no changing of your wealth status or your material goods is ever going to make you feel any different unless you actually uncover like what you're truly longing for in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I mean, that's how I really help people, you know, in my online like programs in my, uh, in-person clinical practice. And I, So, I mean, my big resounding message is just like, you are good enough, but I know sometimes it is really hard to feel that on a daily basis, but I'll be one more person that reminds you that you are good enough just as you are. Even in the midst of depression? Absolutely. Yes. Somebody needs to hear that today. And it doesn't mean that it won't get better, right? But that doesn't mean you're better enough because once you're right. better, right? You're good enough today. You're good enough tomorrow. You're always right. good enough. But I hope that people that are struggling can find help because there, there's hope. There is absolutely hope. Love absolutely. it. Where can people find you online, Stephanie? 
Yeah, my website is not the typical mom.com. If you want to check out my book, the main URL for that is letyourheartoutbook.com, or you can search on Amazon, Let Your Heart Out. Um, and I'm available on social media, Stephanie Reinold, MD, or not the typical mom. Amazing. I always ask my guests just one final question, and it's this, Stephanie. What would you tell your pre motherhood self? I would probably tell her to work on herself to get rid of the junk in her life because it's only going to get worse with kids in the picture. Kids mm-hmm. are not going to solve your problem. They're actually going to just complicate it. So, and that's probably what I wish that I did actually too. I wish I had, you know, like formal therapy truly, like just to put in really concrete terms. I really wish I uncovered my heart and soul long before children. It mm-hmm. probably would have helped me chill out, helped me find peace, like helped me just, get rid of the demons in my own mind that I struggled with for several years, even before motherhood, um, because that stuff doesn't go away, unfortunately. Yes. And I could not agree more. I realized in my first few years of parenting, I was reading all these parenting books on how to be a great parent and parent my children. But then I realized the thing that was really the hang up was myself and my own lack Mm -hmm. and my own insecurities. And when I started reading more self-help books to help build me up when I was taking better care of myself and focusing on filling my own tank and being the best version of myself, and whether that's, you know, being a stay-at-home mom or working outside the home, whether that's spending a lot of time exercising or going on a leisurely walk and not, you know, stressing your body as much, whatever it looks like for you, the better version of you that is showing up for your kids, you will not only be a happier mom, but you are modeling happiness for them. And they are way more likely to emulate those types of behaviors than a stressed out grumpy mom that's just trying to implement implement the parenting practices that you read about in the book. <laughs> 100%. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Amen. I could not agree more. I put on an episode called Why I Go to Therapy, and I'll link to that in the show notes as well because it really has been transformative for me and my parenting as well, even though the therapy itself is not focused on parenting at all. It's about me, and it's about you. Love it, Stephanie. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today to be on the show. This has been such an educational as well as inspiring podcast um, specifically about your motherhood journey. So I just want to thank you for taking the time for sharing. Thank you so much for having me, Jessica. You're awesome. Have a great day. Bye. I got so much out of this conversation with Stephanie. Wow. How incredible is she? I loved that not only did she have the clinical background knowledge, but also going through it firsthand. I love how it really transformed the way that she approaches treatment with her patients, the way she talks to them, the way she views them, the way she educates them. So, so powerful how much empathy we can have for others when we go through it ourselves. So that is why it is so important to share our stories and fuel our conversations surrounding even the hardest parts of our lives sometimes. It can be so empowering to other people. So I want to thank her. If you want to find any information on her, you can go to ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. Over in the show notes there, you'll find pictures and links and everything. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDahlquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Hey, so for the month of August, I'm still going to have new interviews coming out on Tuesdays, but I'm taking Fridays off until the end of the month. So make sure you subscribe so you never miss a Tuesday episode. We have so many incredible interviews coming out in August, but I am taking a break on those Fridays, but Friday episodes will be back starting again in September. Hope everyone is having such a great summer. I cannot believe we have almost made it to August. We are doing it. I'm so proud of myself. Everybody's alive and we are doing fun things. Okay, we're done. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the show today, and we will see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.